I didn't want to have something that took away a lot of time from my current job. This is an opportunity to be completely hands-off. And I was able to establish that I'm a complete passive partner and these folks handle all the day-to-day. They have their own team kind of in place. They're putting one together. So they said, hey, you pretty much just write a check on the front end and then we're going to give you a big kicker in the end, you know, three to five years down the line. And that was very attractive to me because I could still do my job. And also my money was working for me. In this episode, we have Chris Weiser, a partner of mine and a truly passive investor who has invested in 1,668 doors as a passive investor. We'll talk about how Chris became an investor and his secret to finding great deals. We will also touch on how to look for operators and why you might want someone who has gone through the complete life cycle of an acquisition. Finally, we will discuss the benefits of diversifying your investments in different states. All this and much more up next. Real estate investing is changing, but there are people evolving and thriving. In this podcast, we'll listen to their stories and hopefully learn from them. I am dedicated to creating a life where I could create multiple passive income and doing something I love along the way. To me, the most important part is doing significant work and create great relationships along the way. For those that want to invest in passive income multifamilies, email me at abio at abiobiestatos.com. My name is Abio Ballesteros. I am a real estate investor and entrepreneur, and I want to help you live the real estate life. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. So on this podcast, we are dedicated to creating a life of passive income through real estate and doing something that we love along the way. Today, I'm excited. Today, I have uh, Chris Weiser. Chris Weiser is a partner of mine and one of the deals uh, that we have together in Ohio. And I would I wanted to bring him onto the show because he is a true passive investor. And he's going to give the listeners a perspective from the other side that they have not heard before. Chris has a business, uh, has a business in agricultural leadership development with Texas A&M University. He's been working as a recruiter to help professionals in the IT industry achieve their career goals over the past 13 years. Uh, his career has allowed him to build a relationship with a wide variety of people from all over the world. And he's been able to explore different types of investment opportunities. And he's landed in the investment opportunities of multifamily real estate. Uh, Chris has been as an active passive investor since 2012 in multifamilies. So he's very experienced as a passive investor. If there's someone you want to get advice from as a passive investor and a different perspective, he is the person to talk to. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adrian. That was a great intro. I wasn't gonna pay you. I wasn't. I don't. You didn't have to pay you anything. But I was gonna maybe have to slip you five dollars after all that. All those kind of words now. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, Chris. I mean, I. It, it's. Uh. You know. I. I left out the part in the intro of how many doors you're passively invested in. So Chris is currently invested in a thousand seven hundred and sixty-eight doors as a passive investor. That is, if anyone is in the business, that's a lot of doors. Um, Chris, how many properties is that in general? I think that is about nine or 10 properties total. Got yeah, they're, they're scattered throughout Texas, Indiana, and Ohio. Got it. Uh, Texas is your backyard. That's where you started. That's where this, is, this all began? Pretty much, yeah. I, um, so when I was, I, I took this job and I had a lot of debt as a, um, my current W2 job, I had a lot of debt. So my first goal is get out of debt. 
And once I got out of debt, then I started having another problem, which was a little bit of extra money. And uh, I was way behind on, on my savings goals. So I started kind of looking into what, what options that I had outside of the stock market. And I ended up joining a mentorship group. And I met some folks at this mentorship group. And, and we started talking about single family homes primarily. But at one point, they broke off and said, hey, Chris, we're going to, you know, attack a multifamily deal. Would you be interested in joining us? And I said, sure, what the heck is that? And then 30, 30 pages of red flags of what could possibly go wrong and a, uh, probably the biggest check I've written in, you know, in my life at that time. Uh, we were on the, on the road to passive investing. Now, now what size, how was it, was the size of this deal? How many, how big was this apartment? I think that one was around 90 in the nineties, somewhere in the nineties. And it was somewhere local to Houston and it was definitely a, we were calling it a C, but I'm thinking it might've been a high, maybe high D, <laughs> maybe high D. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, uh, and it's, it's impressive how you just jumped into a 90, 90 unit deal. I mean, most of us, even I did, I started with duplexes and single family. Um, what made what made that leap? What, what was it that attracted you and made you so confident that, you know what, you didn't want to go through the growing pains of doing something in a smaller duplex and single family? Because I feel a lot of us start that way. You just yeah. jumped right in into a 90 unit deal. I, I think it's a couple of factors there too. Like I, I mentioned when we were talking a little before the show, um, I, I have a job that I, really, that I enjoy doing. I'm, I'm in the same job that I, I was at that time too. So I didn't want to have something that took away a lot of time from my current job. Uh, I really wanted to, this is an opportunity to be completely hands off. And when I was undergoing kind of my, my version of due diligence at the time, which was very, probably very naive, but and I was able to, to establish that I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm a complete passive partner and these folks handle all the day to day. They have their own, they had their own team kind of in place. They're putting one together. Uh, so they said, Hey, you, you just, you pretty much just write a check on the, on the front end. And then we're going to, we're going to give you a big, a big kicker in the end, you know, three to five years down the, down the, down the line. And that was very attractive to me because I could still do my job. And also my money was working for me and the returns that they were, they were projecting, you know, I think we're looking around like 14, 15%, like an annual, like a cash on cash return to, I forget what the IRR was at the time. And that was pretty good. The, the market had just kind of started to recover a little bit since, you know, Oh nine, and whatnot, but I think this is a very, uh, it's a stable kind of asset class, and it also got me a, a toe dip in the water of multifamily, which I'd always been a big believer in economies of scale. My thought process was go to from single family, kind of learn the ropes there in the multifamily from an active perspective. This allowed me kind of a toe dip without having to be so active in there, and then my money could still do some do some good work for us. And did did they hit those numbers? They did. They oh, we barely awesome. we. I think that there was some uh, some truing up involved there too, since this this was the first deal that these these folks did. But um, I really I trusted I knew one of the operators very very well, and we had a good rapport. Other operator I knew of of that person, and had, he had a very good reputation too. So I was confident in the operators, and I think that they helped out the investors too, and and they they true us all to fifteen percent like a cash on cash per year. Plus we got out a lot earlier than than. The seven to ten year projection, I think, is what he told me in that that thirty page document of everything that could go wrong. So we got out about in about two and a half to three years, I think, is when we when we exited. 
And uh, do you think you got out too soon? Because that in that that era, the market was still still going up. Maybe, yeah. I think there's definitely some more. <laughs> looking back at the time, I was like, oh man, I'm so happy. This is fantastic. Yeah. But looking yeah. back, and I, I think maybe there might have been some more meat in the bone. You know. For I sure. mean, still the the cash on cash that they were giving you yearly. That's that's great, man. That's that that was a good deal. That was a really good deal. That was a good the, deal. These folks didn't have any preferred returns either. I want to make that clear as well. This is kind of more. You put your money in, you get the kicker on the kicker on the tail end. They, they would also give you like cash throughout the year. They had a, hey guys, here's a distribution, but they didn't call it preferred returns that I remember. Um, but once it's all said and done, we we did have a 15% return per that's year all, on our that's, cash. That's, that was a good deal. So that that did you do a de- another deal within those two years, or you once you got the taste of that deal, that's what encouraged you to keep investing passively. I think I invested in their their very next deal before this deal even hit full life cycle. Yeah. We had good communication. They I didn't have a ton of questions. Also, too, I didn't ask a lot of nuts and bolts. I was very focused on my job, at, you know. So I didn't really have a lot of a lot of digging in other than just asking these guys questions. How do you do this? You know, hey, if you have a certain you know tenant that's that has this situation, what what, what does your team do to to take care of this? Um, so they're very responsive, very helpful. We did property tours as well. Like they would, they would take us, you know, since it was a local investment, they would take us to the property and let us kind of walk around and we would, we would either meet up there in our cars or they had a little bus they rent and take us over there and we could talk about, Hey, we're going to improve this laundry facility by doing this. We feel like this is going to increase the ROI in this way. Um, Hey, I've set up a time to talk with one of our residents. They're going to tell us kind of how it was before we got here and how it's been after we got here in their opinion. We're going to try to keep it honest. And the resident kind of shared what they – they really enjoyed the improvements. They did little things like that that really kind of made things um, more comfortable for investors. Um, one thing that was kind of scary for me too is we had – we would have town hall meetings, which was just – if you can imagine every single investor that has their own specific idea of how they want to run a property, having a voice, that's kind of what those things were. And <laughs> the funnest part for me was just watching the two guys that had taken all the questions – just the sweat, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person's asking this again, too. No, we're not going to use this brand of toilet. We're going to use this brand because we get this. Just it, it got a very, oh my god, very yeah, detail yeah. oriented. I've actually, I haven't been in a town hall, but I've been, yeah, I've been in those interrogations. Uh, so I, I, I get it. It's uh, and everyone has their argument and everyone has their technique and and, and sometimes you do learn some. Some stuff is just you know uh, you don't have the budget for it. So that, yeah. it, it, that's the challenge. Now, Chris, on your what is it that you look for? Do you spend a whole lot of time underwriting these deals personally yourself before so you I, jump into a deal? I actually kind of look at the area a little bit. And at the time, I was still, I was very high on, on my local area. So at the time, uh, I just kind of looked at the area and said, hey, do you guys think we can make this work? Where's the main kind of sources of our tenant base coming from? And based off of those, those, those data points, I pulled the trigger. Um, nowadays I do more due diligence around, I try to look at job growth, um, household growth, uh, what kind of area that we're, that we're looking into a little bit more. I do a little bit more due diligence now because I have that, that level of knowledge. Back then it was just kind of a very high level of trust in the operator and the fact that what they said they were doing, they were going to do in terms of communication and, and touch points they executed on. So it was a little bit, it was a little bit different uh, mindset for me back then. Now, do you, do you when you when you identify an operator? First of all, 
how do you identify your operators? Because that's that I think that's also a challenge. Um, I, I know that when when your your group um, uh, was going to do the partnership deal with us in Ohio, I know there was a lot of questions being asked of who was going to be the operator and and how who are these people and where you know there's so many so many questions because at the end of the day, the operators and the construction all that, those can really make or break you. What what is it that you look for in that operator or in that construction team or 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 in that team that that are red flags for you or green lights for you? So that's, that's a good question, and I hope I have a have a, a well thought out enough response that kind of covers everything that I've been thinking about. But um, typically, I want to make sure someone's a good good human being first of all, and that means I've got some level of trust. Like the the folks that I first started off with. It was a very scary first step, but it was kind of like you were going on that journey with people who were already knowledgeable. I've seen these folks execute tons of times in single family. Um, they invested with their family, with their their friends, or their uh, like the, one of the guys. His dad had like a lot of money invested with him too, and he told the story about that. He says he had a very human, um, a very human aspect about him, not like a. You know, you see some of these we're supposed to like these used car salesmen. It wasn't kind of like that kind of deal at all. It was a very, very just down to earth approach. And when we sat down and talked over coffee, he kind of walked me through like the strategy he was doing, and I felt like he was very, very tailored to to me. So I had a high level of trust for him. So that that's one thing I look for. I also like the fact that he was he was self uh, professed very conservative in his approach. He said, "Hey, this is these projections I'm looking at are." I want to make sure we pay our investors first. This is very important to me because if I have you guys' money, I want to make sure that your money is top priority, and then my money comes down there sometime at the end too. But my, my reputation is the most important, and I want to make sure I take care of you guys. And that really that hit with me too because I talked to other folks as well, and they're all talking about returns and how they can do these things in returns. And I don't really I don't I don't go for that as much as someone who's a little more conservative and has like maybe a higher level of, of uh, perceived integrity, if you will. Um, so I wanted some folks who, who were conservative based and then I wanted looking backwards. I really want people now to, who have gone a full life cycle. Cause I think it's so easy to get someone, hey, I'm going to buy this apartment complex down the, down the street and they might not have any experience at all, but they're raising money and maybe they do a good job too, but I'd rather have a full life cycle. Someone who can say, Hey, that person has been a little bit battle tested. Maybe they've been through a, like some kind of adverse like market. Uh, market situation like COVID, like everyone who's been through COVID, they've got a they've got a pretty big pretty big uh, notch on their on their belts now to say, hey, I survived through through COVID. You know, back in in my day, it was I survived the 2007 2008 uh, that that crash. So um, those two investors that I my initial operators, they had both gone through 2007 2008 and come out come out on top with single family homes. They had they had a track record in that area. So yeah. I'll say number one, the character of the person. I also try to check references. I've, I've had very good luck checking references um, for folks to, to understand how the operator communicates. Uh, do they deliver on what they say they can deliver on? Um, how how responsive are they? And what kind of people are they too? Like, what do you what is? I ask a reference. Like, what do you think about this operator as a as a person, as a as a human being? And a, you meet some really cool people through those reference conversations. And B, it just kind of adds a little bit of a human element to them. And yeah. Adil, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't mean yeah, to go ahead. Yeah, no, and I, I want to touch back on that life cycle part because um, I think that's really important. And 
we'll go more into detail into life cycle, not just say real estate cycle, but actually from executing a purchase of a large apartment, taking it from A to Z all the way to the exit of the sale. So I do agree with you. There's a lot of investors out there that haven't gone through a whole life cycle of, a, of an investment of an apartment. You might talk to them and they're still in a cycle. They still, they're still within the two years of an apartment complex. Uh, they still haven't done their exit or, or they don't have any experience stabilizing a distressed apartment or, or when they bought it, it wasn't distressed, but it became distressed because of COVID. So those are challenges that come in, in, in the life cycle of an acquisition. So uh, that is a great point. That is a great point because I remember when I was looking for partnerships to scale my business as an apartment syndicator and an operator, that was what I wanted in my partnerships. Uh, you know, a partner that's gone through that life cycle of buying large apartments and actually exiting successfully. Uh, that was my thing. Like, I, I don't want a partner that's going to, you know, just get done one or two deals and exited two years. I wanted to see the the home run deal, how they took it from the beginning to the end. Because uh, once you're in the business, there's so much that goes on through in that time frame. Uh, there, there is so much operation. There's so much construction. There's so many surprises. Are budgets being blown out the water? Are you staying with staying within budgets? Your the property management, the drama with the tenants. So there's a lot that goes on in these communities. Uh, so to see investors that have taken it from A to Z and exited and been successful, that that's a lot of experience. So that that's a very important point. So for for those listeners out there that are looking to go passively, that is the best thing you could do. Look for operators that you know have gone from A to Z and exited successfully. Um, but still, like you said, yeah, there might be some good ones that you know you that haven't done that yet. But doesn't mean they're not going to be successful. But it's a little bit of a higher risk. It's very, very true. That's one of the things we looked at when we were looking at looking at your team, ABL two. You guys had done full life cycle deals, um, and that was very that was a that was a good feather feather in your cap from our perspective and whatnot. So, um, plus the fact too that that you you all were willing to jump on phone calls with us and video calls and and kind of building that rapport. You know, some folks kind of try to try to keep things at arm's length. And again, I'm I'm very big on that human aspect. That might might be the wrong way to look at things, but so far it's it's, it's worked yeah. worked for me. And how, now, as a how how much communication do you think is okay for an operator and a passive investor to communicate? Like like from your side, now that you you're you're invested in multiple uh, large apartments with different operators. Which is the the perfect way to communicate with you? And I say this because I'm also taking notes. Because <laughs> that's always that's always my challenge. That's like, a tough one. How, how much is good enough communication? How much is overboard? How much is taking so much of your time that you're not becoming a passive anymore? But how much is good enough? You know, I I really like the the quarterly updates through email like for my I've got a couple of investments that are that are new builds right now and that operator just sends me a quarterly updates and some some maybe one or two big pictures of kind of what's going on and then us like a very high high level breakdown and he'll also send me like maybe quarterly financials as well here's how much we've taken off the construction loan so far here's our estimate for you know completion date we'll start leasing at this date this kind of thing and it's very high level I like that then if I have questions I can speak the phone and call and He'll call me back within 24 hours, which I think is very, very reasonable. Um, I know other operators who send out every single month, and it almost seems like kind of you have to 
you're really going to have to pack in more information there too. I'm looking at them as an operator. That'd probably be a little bit more stressful for me and my team having to put together like a monthly update. So if I've already hired the operator, which I, which I have as an, as an LP, then I'm going to trust that they know what they're doing and I'm going to trust that they have an issue that's, that happens. They're going to let me know. Other than that, the quarterly email updates will be fine. Now, um, is there any deal in particular that just sticks out where you're, which it happens, where the investors called you back and said, listen, we need to raise more money. Um, we've gone over budget. Uh, has that, have you been in that situation? Fortunately, knock on whatever real wood I can find around here, I've not gone through that a cap call yet. But um, is that what you're, what you're referring to? Is the yeah, cap? yeah, okay. yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, so um, we have not. Uh, there was one of our deals that when the there was a really bad hurricane that came through in, in Houston, which is probably every every few years we get one of those, and yeah, and it just decimated a lot of the area where we had one of our investments. So I was pretty scared that we might have lost maybe a lot of the, a lot of the investment at that point. But as, as the Lord would have it, the apartment complex next to us took a lot of damage and pushed people over into our complex, which, which didn't sustain hardly any damage. Oh, wow. So we were very fortunate in that regard. Um, there's also a few litigation issues going on with that too. I'm, I'm, I still can't say I understand what really happened, okay. but the operators were very forthcoming about communication. Say, Hey, don't worry about this. Here's kind of what's going on. Here's how we're resolving it. But this is not something. This this happens every once in a while. This is not out of the routine, and he really kind of kind of put our fears at ease because you see, you know, litigation like that. Oh, is is that the reason you started diversifying into other states? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, less hurricanes. <laughs> you know, I, I always uh, I, I, that's we, we like to diversify. We like to pick our states, our cities. You know, even though it's easy sometimes to invest in your backyard because you could just drive to your asset and see it on a regular basis. But you know that that's the beauty of this business, and that's why I, that's one of the things that drew me to it was the size of the business allows it to run on its own with the right team, the right management, where you don't need to be on top of your property, and allows you to invest out of state, allows you to invest in communities and cities where their economy is growing. There's driving traffic. Like right now, I was just doing a study on economic growth and migration patterns. Uh, after COVID, and it's impressive. Like there's some cities that I just never thought they would they would experience the migration patterns that they are. Uh, you know, Tennessee's hot on the market, um, and you could now diversify and invest in these these cities as a passive investor, which is great. Um, uh, Tennessee's right now the number one state for migration. Uh, if you go to to the Yuha uh, and and those moving companies, they have the most accurate data. It's pretty cool. So it it allows you to diversify and target certain cities and get out of your backyard. Um, and I have the same issue in South Florida like you do with hurricanes. So, yeah, definitely want to have all yeah. your eggs in one basket. So I get that. I think you guys win in that regard, too. You guys have a little more hurricane issues than we do. So that's oh, yeah, to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we, we actually underwrite deals now. And the first thing that we ask is, do we have a, a win a flood zone? Because, yeah. you know, insurance is skyrocketing on that. So, yeah, definitely something to look after. You know, um, and it, 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 on, the, on the diversification piece too, it's, it's kind of nice to, I don't have to know all those things. Like if I want to, if I want to invest with you in Florida, you're an operator that's very well seasoned in that area, right? So I don't need to go in. I can look at the overall high level stats, job growth, household growth, whatever things are important to me on a high level, but you know, the ins and outs. So you know, 
hey, if I'm in, if I'm in this area, I need flood, flood insurance or I need hurricane insurance or a high level of insurance because there's more susceptible to damage. And I wouldn't know those things, but I can rely on you as an operator and I can sleep a lot better at night because I'm not thinking in my head, is there something that I missed? I don't have to worry about that. I know Abiel's got that covered with his team. So it's, it's very helpful to right. diversify. It's, it's a good yeah, point. a lot goes into that. Uh, that's, that's another um, part of being an operator is that um, there's, there's a lot going on in the back door. You know, we, we, I, I have a whole podcast on, on how much time we spent underwriting deals and identifying markets. A lot goes into it. Um, you know, the, um, it's a competitive business. Uh, there's a lot of competition, a lot of money out there for this asset class, especially after COVID. And, um, you know, a lot of underwriting, a lot of time to going through marketing packages. So yes, as a, uh, you benefit from that. Um, and, and you get to come into the deal when all that's been hammered out and get to see the high, high level numbers, which what you just said. And uh, I know that I'm always putting that stuff in front of you and Goit in your group, uh, guys, to check out this deal. But I only, just for those operators out there, don't put a bunch of stuff in front of them. Just put the stuff in front of them that you are confident that you're taking down. Just wasting your time. Your time is very valuable also. Um, what would you say, Chris, if you were to go back uh, that 2012 when you started and put yourself in, in, in a passive or new investor coming into the business. What, what advice would you give them uh, uh, if, uh, going back to the uh, 2012, Chris? You know, I think looking back, there was um, some recruiter. You don't go to school for recruiting. I never heard of recruiting really until I kind of got in the industry. So to use that as a parallel or an analogy, then the same thing with multifamily. You really don't hear too much about, about multifamily. But once you get in it, then that's all you hear about. Um, there's so many great resources out there online now that are, that are free. Uh, there's networking events. I chose to go the mentorship route where I, I had a paid mentorship for the single family, which led me to, multi, to multifamily. Um, so I would Who say for someone, mentorship, sorry to cut it, you off. It, it, it was a company called lifestyles unlimited here in Houston. And I thought they did a phenomenal job. They're very good in terms of single family. They've also got a multifamily branch as well, which is just something that I chose. I chose not to do. I chose to, the single family right at the time. Um, but looking back since, since then, I would say there was, there's just so, so many more available resources than I had ever imagined. And even looking through websites today, these people have been around since 2010, 2008, yeah. producing sure. content, you know? So, um, I would say jump in both feet first and, and, uh, just meet as many people as you can have conversations and slowly those light bulbs start, will start going off. Correct. Yeah. And, it's, and things will start making sense to you or, or you just reach to a point that you might not, the business might not be for you. Like how it was for you to single family. Uh, like I, I have conversations with everyone about multifamilies and they're just individuals that don't, they like the single family asset. So it, sure. you got to fight what fits your personality and your goals. And uh, I'll tell you what though, once you start searching these topics and, and you start reading and like you said, start uh, looking at mentors in the business, I, I'm, I'm a big promoter of YouTube videos. I learned a lot through there. Once I identified four or five top, top individuals in the business, I just start following and seeing what they do and how they do it and get different perspectives. Um, and, and, I, and I know you invested in, in one of the deals with Joel Fairless you mentioned to me, which his book is great. Um, um, it's, yeah, yeah that, that for me was a great read. Um, so a lot of props to what he put, put together there. And, 
it's easy to understand. That would, would catch you up in the business. And also, once you start doing that, I think the algorithms of social media platforms just start bombarding you with other individuals. So they'll do that work for you. Um, Chris, too uh, much uh, information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it gets overloaded. Then you think everyone is doing the business. Right. What happens to you? I'm like, every time I open my social media, it's like, oh my God, is the whole world doing multifamilies? Right. Just, uh, just, just, just coming at me from everywhere. Um, uh, I, I always ask every listener this question, and, and I love to hear that perspective. And what what does financial freedom mean to you, Chris? You know, actually, so I took some notes before I called Abel, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I reference my notes here because I gotta think about this question a lot. Um, yeah, I know, change it all the time. For me, financial freedom changes all the time. It, it really does, and that's that's kind of the the, the tricky <laughs> tricky thing about that question is is you can wake up one day and. and it just means something a little bit different. So um, yeah. I'm sure you're you're similar since that you you set goals and then kind of check those goals. But throughout the year, some of those goals change. Um, so the the one that I had right now is is it kind of has two phases. So the first one is creating a passive income stream, so you don't have to rely on a paycheck, like from a W two job to cover expenses. I think that's kind of a nice milestone to hit in the sense that you've been able to exercise the discipline, uh, the financial savviness needed to cover your bills. Um, and the second part of that equation is really being able to utilize your passive income stream to cover your lifestyle. Uh, if you want to, you know, travel, see the world, that kind of thing, or maybe you want to, you know, do something, help somebody out, those kind of things. And you, at that point, I think we can really say we're financially free when your when your lifestyle is is covered. Um, but it's not just that's not just the 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 end goal. It's still part of the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Um yeah, finding finding that discipline. I, I like that you said that discipline and that education part uh, to to create that that financial freedom through passive investments, where they create that funnel of money that that cover your lifestyle. That's that's definitely a great goal to have. It's a dream, um, but it, it seems that the target number always changes. You know, we we tend to get ourselves into things and bills and stuff, and you know, they get dreams. Sometimes they get bigger, and why not? You know, why not? Chris, I know that you're st slowly dabbling into becoming passive to active. Um, and I would like for any listener that's listening to this, that's a passive investor to be able to reach out to, cause you know, sometimes they only get to talk to operators and, and syndicate. They, they only like they, sometimes they want to talk to you to get your perspective. You, you sure. know, you have a, a different perspective than, than what I do. So uh, is there a way a listener that's interested in jumping into business could get in touch with you? Absolutely. I've got a email, phone number. Um, so my, my email is, is texag, T-E-X-A-G-0-2, R-E-I, at gmail.com. And then my, my telephone number is 832-835-1055. All right. So for those listening out there, I'll drop the link on, on the YouTube video. Uh, Chris, I enjoyed this conversation and your perspective of the business from your end. And I'm um, looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to doing more business with you. Thanks Thank for having you. me, Abel. We appreciate it. Thanks, good, Chris. Good to be All on right. here. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Live podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to reach out to me, please go to my website, www.abelbiesteros.com.